Hello and welcome to The Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast, I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. We are in our fourth and final episode with The Last Poets. The Last Poets are considered to be the godfathers of hip-hop, bringing poetry onto the turbulent scene in the 1960s. For over 50 years, they have persevered, keeping their intent and mission alive as they seek to enlighten all people about racism, social justice, and personal growth through poetry and music. Earlier this year, Umar bin Hassan, Abiyadun, Oyawole, and Babadan Babatunde gathered at the Ropadope Room at the invitation of renowned bassist and producer Jamaluddin Takuma. There they listened for the first time to the full album that they had worked on for years. It was an emotional and historic moment, all recorded on camera as part of the 21 Soul video series. Soon afterward, I was able to reach out to each of the last poets and record a podcast as I wanted to learn more about these unique and powerful men. It was difficult to focus as I was simply in awe of their power. And so our final episode with the last poets will focus on Jamaluddin Takuma, the man who put together the music, brought the last poets together, and honored them with an amazing production transcending toxic times we are here for another episode of the station tapes and 21 soul and i have the great pleasure of speaking today with mr jamaladine takuma jamaladine how are you i am fine lewis and um thank you so very much for having me here today uh, it's my pleasure um we have a lot to talk about um mm-hmm. For the listeners, uh, Jamaluddin has just uh, completed an amazing production with The Last Poets, Transcending Toxic Times, which is due out this spring, and uh, we're going to dig in a little bit. Um, Okay. I want to ask you first, uh, so people have some Mm -hmm. background, I mean, we can all go to Wikipedia these days and read about Ornette Coleman and all of the milestones in your career, but... uh, Mm -hmm. I wanted to get a sense of how you came to music in the first place. Well, you know, I grew up in in an area of Philadelphia called North Philadelphia, which is not too far from the the Temple University area University area in North Philadelphia. And there was um, a theater on Broad Street, Broad and Susquehanna, called the Uptown Theater, mm-hmm. which they are actually now trying to you know bring it back to with renovations. Uh, but that theater there was a very special part of my life where I was able to see all of the R&B groups that was happening there at, at the time. Um, there were a lot of groups that were playing around. Uh, you know, you had what they call the Chitlin Circuit or whatever, and you had bands that were playing their hit records that they had had. And so you would have at the Uptown, just like the Apollo, or the Howard Theater, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you would have maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 groups there at one sh- on one show, each group playing their most recent hit record, maybe a, a, another one from maybe their past songs, whatever. So you would have 10 days there at this particular venue, 10 days, and each act, would they, they would do a matinee on Saturday and Sunday, and each group would probably put, you know, would have maybe a six-minute, uh, seven-minute, you know, oh, wow. showtime. So there, I was able to see everybody. I was able to see the early groups like Jack, uh, Jackie Wilson, James mm-hmm. Brown, 
uh, the Motown folks, um, um, moving up into the more current kind of scenario where you had uh, Black Ivory, the Moments, the Whatnots, uh, the mm-hmm. Five Stair Steps, which was, which was in fact my favorite group out of Chicago. That was they were produced by Curtis Mayfield, oh, wow. and um, and uh, so the Charlites and 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 the originals from Motown and the Dells, and, you know. The Manhattans and all of these groups were like really, really wonderful groups that I, I sort of uh, was touched and inspired to. And so I saw that I was going to John Wanamaker uh, High School. My mother would send me down south every summer to um, sort of escape the gang warfare that was happening in, in, in the city, especially in North Philly at that time. Yeah. And uh, she would send me down south to stay with my aunt. I would stay with my aunt. And um, I, I noticed in that my, one of my aunt's rooms was a, a guitar that was broken. It only had four strings on it. And I knew that those strings were in tune, but I had figured out how to play uh, the song Get Ready by The Temptations, which was a basic kind of like do 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 So uh, anybody who plays the guitar, they know that you can actually play that on one string. And so I, I figured out how to play that on one string. When I came back to, uh, to up, you know, back to Philadelphia, um, I, I contacted my my school teacher, who was the music teacher. Who I wasn't involved in the music program because I was playing basketball. I wasn't involved with the music program, but Mr. Robert Joel was his name, and he allowed me to sit in with the with the band and to sit in and you know pick up some things on music theory. Wow! And so I would hang out there. I would hang out there, and and I became really interested in the bass guitar. Started playing the bass guitar. Went to high school. Had to make the decision if I was going to play basketball or play music i just decided to play music um started with the high school band jazz band there um went through that uh after that i got a scholarship to go to berkeley i chose not to go to berkeley uh i went on the road with charles erlin an organ player who they used to call him in philadelphia the mighty burner went on went on tour with him for a year um and then i was called to do a, a tour with ornette coleman and i was suggested by reggie lucas and james the who at that particular time, they were with Miles Davis, mm-hmm. and they couldn't go on the they couldn't go on the road with, because they were, you know, they were with Miles. So they asked me what I, you know, do the gig with Ornette. So I was supposed to go to Orn, I was supposed to go to Europe with Ornette for two weeks, and we wound up staying in in uh, Europe for six months. Were you aware of the the, the sheer magnitude of that at the time? Like that's, um, that's I knew huge. something was go- I knew something was going on. I couldn't really put my finger on. It. I knew something was like brewing, mm-hmm. because I mean, for me, things had just been progressing in a positive way thus far. So it was, you know, it was like just steps. It was always for me in my whole career. It's, it's just always been making moves and in, in sequential order. Um, there have been some other uh, folks that have been uh, successful in a different way, and I've been successful in, in another kind of way. But it's all been sort of moving in a certain direction, and 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 I'm very comfortable with what I'm doing, and so I'm not uh, chopping at the bit. I'm sort of comfortable and, and and relaxed at what I do. So, and my my concept is just trying to make make the best situation possible. With, you know, with what I have in front of me. So, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what was really going on, but it felt good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, when did you first become aware of the last poets? Uh, this was actually during the time that I was uh, in junior high school. There was a bunch of guys that lived in my neighborhood who were dancers. They were dancers with uh, uh, an organization called 
Ile Ife. Ile Ife was headed up oh, by yeah. a dancer, uh, Master Arthur Hall. And Arthur Hall, uh, they were all part of this, uh, part of a, a project that was called Model Cities in Philadelphia that was put together to help the inner city youth, uh, be, you know, occupy themselves and, 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 and develop their creative skills. Mm-hmm. So it, they, it, one section of it was where you had the music and then you had Arthur Hall, which headed up the Arthur Hall dancers. <clears throat> they were African dancers. They had African drum troupe. And the music section, the music area was where they had this band called Catalyst, which was from Philadelphia, who um, was with Tyrone Brown, my, my bass teacher, Eddie Green, the pianist, uh, Sherman Ferguson, the drummer, Odin Pope, uh, saxophonist, and mm-hmm. Alfonso Johnson, who went on to play with the Weather Report oh, bassist. Okay. So, um, so they, so they, they suggested that I had played with Charles Erlen, and and so you know it was very easy for me to um, to try to develop everything that I was working on at that particular time to them. Mm-hmm. And so you, so at some point later, uh, you reconnected. Uh, or you connected with the last poets? Can you describe how oh, how that came about recently? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Because what happened was that because being being connected to the guys of the neighborhood, they were they were the ones that actually introduced me to jazz. So when you know when I would go to their house, we would not only listen to jazz, and I remember seeing that first last poets record. Mm-hmm. You know the one that was uh, you know the very the, the first one, the iconic one, and so that that's that visuals stuck in my mind for for a long time, as well as the, the poems that we heard at that particular time. Um, you know, so it was it was something that I was introduced to early on that really stuck with me. Yeah. So so But I was introduced to but I was introduced to the last poets from those particular guys and that whole scene that was happening in you know late sixties and seventies. Yes, yes. do you have a comment on why um you know how this movement sort of disappeared. I don't want to say disappeared, but became less present in the minds of Americans as we enter, or or we're right in the middle of a time now where it's very present. Um, yes. See, by my understanding, because I was younger at the time, and I didn't really know everything that was going on around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that there was some inequality happening. Uh, I knew that there were there were certain things that my mother had related to me. Um, I, I I knew I noticed that there were uh, certain things that I noticed from an artistic on an artistic level. I noticed when I would watch TV, I would see certain images, and I wouldn't yeah. see I wouldn't see other images. Um, and and so that was a very turbulent time as I've become to understand, as it became to be clear to me as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And when I, when, right now, when I look back on what was happening, then I see I'm, it's mirroring exactly what's happening now. And I can't really say what has happened, but I think that on a certain level, I think a certain concept of spirituality is sort of an emotion and creativity sort of left the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a lot of things that were happening in the neighborhoods. You know, when you when you when you would um, do something, and your parents didn't know that you did it, your neighbor saw you doing it, and your neighbor would tell your parents, or your neighbor would speak out on it, or your teacher was concerned about you. 
And so you don't really see that kind of um, relationship between people in the neighborhood on a spiritual level. And so you have music also that's that's being uh, um, displayed and, and, and that's being promoted that there's nothing that's really, I would say, com- completely motivating mm-hmm. that would bring you back to a certain reality. And it's all, fl- most of it is fluff and most of it is superficial. So the messages that they were dropping at that particular time, which is so, so, so relevant right now, is something that is, in the interim, is something that has sort of left the community because of the superficiality of... of Popular culture. Popular culture. Yeah. So yeah. that so that has uh, made it possible for folks to not be serious about, you know, what the... And, you know, folks have been, you know... I mean, there was a time when, when you know, when you would, um, we had a community where you didn't really depend on a lot of other things. You had your own, so you could create your own. You could, you could do for self. You could, you could, you could be uh, self-sufficient uh, because you really wasn't wanted in other circles of life. Hmm. So you had certain things in your neighborhood. You had certain things uh, uh, in your community that you did for yourself, that you relied on for yourself, and it made for more crea- creativity. And so when that, when that sort of broke down, um, you really wasn't, as an African-American, you really weren't f- free to do the things that you were actually doing before. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you were creating and you weren't being hindered from doing that. Uh, sort of when you joined the team, you know, your creativity became stifled. Mm-hmm. And so... I think between, I think that that period that in these turbulent times that were happening then, which is happening again now, and I think it has a lot to do with the lack of spirituality, the lack of cre- emotional creativity, the lack of realness, mm-hmm. and that's what I think we have to get back to because the business is the music business itself is extremely superficial in a certain way. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do. I mean, you have you have people who in different parts of the world. They play music for other reasons. They play music for healing. They play music for uh, uh, for for emotional responses, uh, for uh, events that has to do with creativity. And so you have the business now, which sometimes it can hinder the real reason for the for the actual sonic and audio yep. enjoyment. Yep. And and it is and it is disconnected, um, you know. It's disconnected. Yeah, I, I face and it every you, day. And you have and you have gatekeepers of the business who only allow certain things to get through. Yeah. And you know, I mean that, and that's just you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, you know how many? Uh, I mean, you know, you take a guy like uh, the most. I mean, like the most creative, the most creative musician. That person or because of there's there's a certain kind of movement in the culture, you know, one person is picked, two persons is picked, but in the neighborhood, you could possibly have ten people who can who can play, mm-hmm. or who can write, or who could compose ten times better than that person who was chosen. And sometimes that person who was chosen is representing something that has nothing to do with complete creativity. It has something to do with something else. 
Yeah, I like to call it the entertainment business. It's a it's a packaging that's of what, sorts. That's what, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing wrong. And it's nothing wrong with it. You know, but it's up to the individual to sort of you know look at the look at it and see what what they can do in it. And also, when a person becomes involved in a project, and I'm, me becoming in a project like this last poets project. And I was very happy that, you know, Robodope was able to bring this to fruition because the thing is that, you know, I could do many projects that have meaning and yes. maybe some of the projects will be overlooked because, you know, there's They're not from a, a shiny. business point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, from a business point, the person can't see that it's, I mean, you know, the business aspect of it, you know, it's, it's going to be good because, of, you know, we have a project with the last poets are they are they're famous and they have a following and they have been having a following since the 60s. So that is built in. But what's even more beautiful than the actual business of it is that there is going to be a message that's going to be put out. There's going to be a message that's going to be um, mm-hmm. uh, available that people can see another side of something. And that is a beautiful thing, and I thank Ropadope for you know bringing that to fruition. We're we're, we're honored to to be able to you know dig in on this um, because that message is so important. Um, so important, now. so when, important. So when you let let's let's talk about the evolution of this record because it's it is it is such a unique work of art. Um, I I think that people who are familiar with the last poets will be stunned. Um, there, there's a there's a combination of musicality and poetry here that transcends both, and I, I'd like to break down how that process worked for you. Did you have a vision when you started, and when you said, "Well, I'm going to be working with the last poets," uh, I want it to sound like this, or or did it evolve as you went? You know, you know, I, I you know, I, you know, I'm very quiet at, at my work sometimes, and you know, as a musician, as a bass guitarist. That's one side of me, and you know when I, you know, I always make the, the the analogy of you know when I'm when I'm coming with my bass guitar, I'm bringing my A game. You know, I'm going to bring my A game, and you know, mm-hmm. we're gonna, you know, we're going to do this, and and I do, and I try my best to do that, and I've been doing it for so long, and I and I, I take pride in that. You know, I take pride when I walk on the stage with when I'm walking on stage with that. You know, we're going to we're going to give this audience more than they expected, and that is something that I you know that I I learned from being at the Uptown, from looking at being mm-hmm. at the Apollo. And, and so those things are in my DNA. So as a, at the same time that I was working as a, as a musician, as a band leader, as a sideman, as a band leader, um, making records with others, I was also working as a producer. And I was producing my own, I was producing all of my records, but I was also producing other records as well. And the thing that was most important to me was that the producer is not about the producer because, you know, you know, you had this advent of uh, producers who were DJs, who were lawyers, mm-hmm. who were people <laughs> who didn't have, I mean, the idea of production is, yes, it's about organization, yes, but it's also about getting inside of that artist. And it's not about the producer, you know. It's not about. It's not. You know. I'm not a producer. That I'm. I'm not looking at myself as being a star producer. Yeah, I, I try to do my best work, but it's really about that artist. And I. I can move that kind of feeling 
with whomever I'm working with. If it's if it's a, a, a singer from from Vienna or if it's a, a band from from Africa or if mm-hmm. it's a, 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 a group from you know the Netherlands or whatever, whoever I'm working with or somebody right from North Philly or if it's working, you know, when I was working with the Roots, you know, Grover Washington Jr. It's 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 something that I I look I look at being something that's translating the experience that that artist has and bringing that experience to sound. And so the record for The Last Poets came about because I was that idea of that record cover, the idea of the sound that I heard, and I wanted to translate that to their record. And so I had the opportunity to, to, to play with them on tour. Uh, we had a tour, their anniversary that they did. I had an opportunity to play with them. And I noticed something playing with them. Um, the poems were great. They were, they were always great because that's them. But I noticed that they, we, as the band, the band was put together by somebody else. And it was, an, it was a chance for me to see how it was flowing. And I just knew that it could be much, 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 much better. Mm. And so that just, you know, put me in a situation where I wanted to um, to go at it. It's interesting. I mean, when you listen to this record, you, you, you get the sense that it feels like it wrote itself. But but I, but from what you're saying and, and when you stop and think about it, I can tell there's more to it than that. I mean, just listening to the poets and uh, Abiy Adun's presence and delivery, and then Umar's cadence, you you seem to have found a way to inject musicality that sort of alters their their delivery a little bit. Was there was there a magic yeah. moment? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, in terms of the um, the instrumentation, I wanted it to be sort of old school. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted it to be sort of organic, and so that's why I chose the guitar and, and sparse keys, sparse keyboards, um, drums, and bass. You know, really simple, simple thing. But but along with that, there's a piece called I I don't know what I would do, mm-hmm. and that piece has viola and acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And it was just easy for me to think of this record as being, as you would say, lush, as you said. You yeah. know, because it's, 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 it's creating an atmosphere. Not only are they dropping message, not only are they, are they dropping serious, serious, serious message, but the music sort of like Humar said, it caresses their poetry and, and that made me feel good. So, and, and that's what I tried to do. Yes, and, and, and you can and you can hear them rising to, to that. You, you know? Um it, it 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 you can you can almost hear it empowering their delivery in, yeah, in the yeah, process. Yeah. Uh and and the beauty of it for me is that you know, definitions uh, tend to limit our understanding. When if if we if we look at an album and say this is a poetry album, 
then we have a certain uh, you, 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 you have a certain idea. idea about what you think it is. Right, and that but limits when you, when your you, understanding. Mm-hmm. But Go when ahead. you hear it, you go like, oh, wow, this is that and more. <laughs> it's a this whole new thing. It's, and more. It's all, it's all of the things, and... I really want to emphasize for listeners um, who um, are digging in right now and, and listening to to your history on this uh, that if they if they hadn't heard it um, that it, it can't be defined. Uh, there's there's a lot of emotion in this album, and it's the full range. And right, and and you know what? Yes. Yeah. And, and not to not to cut you off, but you know, and also it's interesting that you mentioned that because it it brings them in the in the whole concept of 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 the title transcending toxic times because you know yes the times are very toxic but the last poets have been here since the sixties and they they've been spitting fire from that point to now and reflecting on everything that they've experienced and everything that they've seen and everything that they want to elaborate on. But also the other side to them is, is, is a certain love, a certain idea of compa- human compassion, a yes. certain idea of emotion. And, and, and I knew as a producer, I wanted to bring that out also. Because a lot of times when you think of the poets, you think of them, you know, wow, they have this really heavy, you know, angry kind of thing, you know. Right. And, and sometimes when they're doing that, it's justifiable. What they're talking about is justifiable. But there's is also... Um, a certain level of love and compassion and opt- optimism that they had. And I also wanted to bring that out in the record. And you hear that. You do. You do. It's it's enlightenment in a way. I mean, you, everything ends at love, right? I mean, the record is, yeah. very, the record is extremely emotional. Yes. I mean, that's for sure. Wow. So... Um, is there is there anything else that you want to say specifically uh, about this record that isn't already evident in the in the in the music and the words? Well, Abby Dune said something that I think touched you and me when we heard him say it. He said that if he was to leave this life today or tomorrow, that what we were able to do in this production, what we were able to do on this record hmm. would be something that he would he would go to his grave and he would feel extremely good about it. And that said that said it all. Complete. That said it all. Yeah. Be- because they've been together for so long and they've done so many records. And they've done things that they they, they 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 liked and some things that they didn't necessarily like. But to hear him say that about something that that I did with them and something that Ropadope is doing with them. Is, it, it means it means the world, and I've done a lot. I've produced a lot of records, but to hear that from him, mm-hmm. it, it, it meant the world. It meant the world to me. It was very powerful, very powerful. Well, Jamaluddin Takuma, thank you so much. I want to tell everybody that uh, uh, transcending toxic times from the last poets, uh, described by the last poets themselves as the definitive work, uh, is uh, is out in May two thousand nineteen. Uh, I want to thank you not just for your time today, but for for creating this, for putting it together. It's stunning. Thank you so much, Lewis, and everyone at Rope Dope. And um, you know, um, I'm, I'm I'm happy that the last poet is feeling good about it as well. 
And uh, I just hope that the world will be able to hear this and hear the, the, the greatness of this work, yes. Agreed. Well, there it is. Four men who put the mission and the art above all and carefully crafted a beautiful message for all of humanity. If you haven't listened to each of these interviews, I suggest visiting them as you dig into the album Transcending Toxic Times by The Last Poets. Each new listen reveals a new lyric, a new riff, and a little more of the intent in the creation of the album. Thank you all for tuning in to the station tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21Soul. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google, and wherever else pods are cast. Our video interview series is available on YouTube at Ropadope99, and you can find out more about the artists we speak with at ropadope.com. Thanks to the 21 Soul team, Nick Perry and Steven Jashevsky on production, Larry Yetman on video, and the great Fabian Brown on the creativity and positive energy tip. Our theme song is from Red Hook Soul by saxophonist Michael Blake. You can find out more about Michael Blake at michaelblake.bandcamp.com or on your favorite streaming service. Finally, thanks to all of you who keep the flame burning for independent quality music. To the musicians who pour their creativity into the world and to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show.